John Murphy. My pleasure to welcome to this podcast, Dr. Stephen Badalak. Dr. Badalak is a familiar guest. It is his eighth appearance, and his contributions go back to the beginning of the podcast series. Dr. Badalak, welcome to Resilience Medicine today. Yeah, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. So I wanted to get your insight into the new project you have. This is a $22 million grant from DARPA to develop a device combining artificial intelligence, bioelectronics, and regenerative medicine muscle tissue, especially after combat injuries. Dr. Bag, tell us a little bit about your project. Thank you for asking about this topic. The project that's being supported by DARPA is one of these rare opportunities for individuals like myself in academia that provides resources that just simply are not available anywhere else. This is a highly cross-disciplinary project, and the broad agency announcement by DARPA, which was, gosh, must be three years old now, insisted upon three major components of a device that is intended to accelerate the rate of wound healing and improve the amount of functional tissue that is injured. And we're talking mainly here about musculoskeletal tissue. The three main components of the project are, one, the development of biosensors. These would be sensors that can be placed on or within tissues that would interrogate the presence and quantify the amount of any analyte that is deemed to be important in functional wound healing. You know, for example, immunomodulatory molecules like TNF alpha or IL-10 or IL-4, these sorts of things, and do this in real time. The second major component would be the development of what are called bioactuators, which would be a separate set of probes that would deliver to the wound those analytes that are deemed to be out of line with functional wound healing. You know, in other words, if the wound is going towards an undesirable outcomes of simply scar tissue, for example, we could modify that by delivering selected analytes, growth factors, cytokines, chemokines, whatever, that would change the direction of that. And the third component is that this would be controlled by artificial intelligence. So this device would be something placed on a wound temporarily, maybe an hour or two, do its job, be removed, patient heals, and then we reapply it at a frequency that we need yet to figure out to change the wound healing outcome. So it's, it's almost like a Star Wars type of a project. It's exciting to work on this project. What's the limitations of current wound healing that this device attempts to overcome? There's two parts to that answer. The first most direct answer is that in these types of injuries, which are severe and involve massive loss of tissue, Even tissues in the human body that have some regenerative capacity, like skeletal muscle, just become overwhelmed. And so you end up with simply scar tissue there that's non-functional. And depending upon the anatomic site of the injury, the quality of life is severely compromised. Oftentimes, these types of injuries result in amputation. So what we need to do is change that so that we can inform the body to reconstruct the tissue rather than just heal it with scar tissue. The second, and this isn't a limitation of current wound healing, but a limitation of our treatment is that we do not understand at every level. By that, I mean at the transcriptional level, the proteomics level, 
cellular level and so forth, all the way to the adult human, the steps, what are the key upstream steps that need to be targeted here? And as you can tell from the description of the project, this involves the development of these types of sensors and actuators and uh, artificial intelligence that no single laboratory has the ability to do. So this project involves eight separate institutions that we went out and found what we considered to be the absolute leaders in each of the fields to, to help us get this done. We are the lead institution. I happen to be the PI for this project, but there are 14 other individuals leading these projects at institutions such as Rice and Northwestern, University of Vermont, Walter Reed, Carnegie Mellon, and the list goes on. It's just like a collection of superstars getting a chance to work on this project. So tell me a little bit about the sensors. They have to be pretty small to fit in the wound. These biosensors and bioactuators that are being developed, we are two years into the project now. And so we have prototypes of these sensors that can fit on the wound. We are using a large model of this type of wound showing that both in vitro in the laboratory and in the real situation, we can measure important, I call them analytes, but they're basically biomarkers of a particular wound healing process. So for example, in a pro-inflammatory response to an injury like this, you'll get a marked up regulation of markers such as IL-6, IL-1 beta, TNF-alpha, interferon gamma, and others. And then in a resolution phase, there'll be alternative biomarkers such as IL-4, IL-10, and others that we've identified through the work we've done over the past two years. One of the unique opportunities in this project is the ability to sample, and let me, I'll use the word interrogate what's happening at a wound site at any time that we think is relevant, one hour, three hours, 12 hours, one week, two months, or down the line. We biopsy the wound sites and we conduct RNA sequencing to evaluate what's happening at the gene transcription level. We're doing proteomics to see what's happening at the secretome level for the wound. We're doing immunolabeling and imaging to look at the spatial and temporal changes within the wound. For example, what's happening at the edge of the wound versus the center of the wound and so forth. We are doing 3D printing to apply a hydrogel coating to the wound that these biosensors sit in, and then all the way to the functional level at the end. There's just no way conventional sources of funding such as NIH, NSF, and so forth, can support this sort of an effort. And that's what I meant by a rather unique opportunity for individuals like myself and the people at the institutions that I just mentioned. So why is smaller wound self-healing and larger wounds are not? Well, you're asking a good question because skeletal muscle has more regenerative abilities than many other tissues in the body, like for example, the heart or the lung or the brain, for example. There are selected tissues that have good regenerative capacity, like the liver, the muscles in between, but it's more on the good side. And so we all know we get injuries to our muscles every day, every week, and yet we don't end up with scars all over the place. So the muscles got a very robust reserve cell population that responds to these sort of minor injuries. But when you lose 30, 50, 60% of the mass of a muscle in a particular muscle group, there's just no way 
that the body can do that. The body is lucky to be able to cover the wound, lay down scar tissue, and we've evolved this way for the survival of the species. This is termed volumetric muscle loss. So that's where we're working in that space where the civilian population has these injuries, usually from motor vehicle accidents, for example, or a whole variety of traumatic injuries. But the military, of course, has these types of injuries much more commonly in combat. How does the FDA react to this? Well, that's another good question, because if one thinks about what has to happen to bring all of this technology together, certainly there's intellectual property involved. There are trade secrets and other things to turn it into a single device that'll be available to not only the Defense Department, but the hospitals in your local communities. So we are engaged right now with an organization that DARPA has put us in contact with, whose job is to do just what you're asking, make arrangements for the various institutions to play nice together, to bring all their technology together, decide whether this sort of technology would be developed in a startup company or would be partnered with an existing company that's in the field of wound care and handle everything from GMP facilities to manufacture the device, to regulatory barriers, to getting it out and reimbursement and a whole bit. Because basically what we're doing is talking about something that doesn't exist right now and we're developing it for the marketplace. So we definitely need this sort of help. And DARPA is doing a great job of being sure that we have all the resources necessary to make sure that the great work that's being done in these various laboratories results in something that's translational. Dr. Ballard, you mentioned there's a sense of team involved in this project. Can you share with some of the contributors? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, I view my job as sort of making sure everybody works together and keeps going in the right direction. But we have uh, individuals at the University of Pittsburgh, such as Yoram Motivotes and Milos, Brian Brown, and others who are essential in various aspects of this. Carnegie Mellon is heavily involved in this work with Zahi Cohen Carney and Adam Feinberg and Doug Weber. We've got people at Rice that include Omar Desai and others, and at Northwestern with Jonathan Ribney. We've got Gary Ahn up at University of Vermont. And we have individuals at Walter Reed, such as Eric Ulster, who is bringing in the human component and providing the first opportunity for clinical translation in phase two. So you can see that these people are all supported by their own staff as well. In some ways, one can think of this as like a little mini Manhattan project for wound care, a wonderful way to solve these sorts of unmet medical needs. And I applaud DARPA for identifying the problem and providing the resources for this project. We are approaching the last quarter or two of phase one, and we will learn within the next three to five months the fate of phase two, which would be the application of prototypes to the actual clinical situation. So we're pretty excited about that. Dr. Banalek, thank you for joining us today, sharing with us the status of this exciting project. We thank the McGowan Institute for Gender Medicine for sponsoring this podcast series. And we welcome suggestions. You can reach us at mail at regenerativepasttoday.com. Thank you. Thank you.